thank you. Wow, what a great video. I, I kind of feel it just did my talk for me, really. Those, uh, those folks were great, particularly the big issue seller. I loved him. I think you should have got him up to speak this morning instead. It's really good to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much for such a lovely welcome and all the help that I've received since arriving this morning, all of your um, amazing hospitality. And thank you for asking me to come and speak on this brilliant topic as part of this whole series around Does God Care? Such a good thing to be looking at and particularly rooting it in Genesis 1, which really is that foundational text for us as God followers, as God worshippers. I want to start actually by asking you to do some dreaming and I want you to I want to allow you to have a vision if this world was how you wanted it to be what would it look like now I know we could talk about there'd be no more poverty and some of those big things but I want you to think really practically what would this world look like really practically what would my house look like what would my community, my city, my neighborhood look like? What would my work be like? What would my family and my friends be like? Let's take a moment to dream together about the kind of world that we want to see and what it would really practically, physically look like. I'm going to ask you to take a very few moments, because we haven't got long, to turn to the person next to you and just dream for a bit. What would, what would it look like? Go. And those of you who are watching online, you're really welcome. And do feel free to put your thoughts in the comments, in the, the chat, on the, probably on the right-hand side, wherever it is. But would be great to be having you joining in as well. So please feel very welcome. I wonder what kind of things you're thinking about. I asked this question at a talk that I was doing on Wednesday, um, and uh, I can't get feedback here in the way that I would love to, but some of the things that I was hearing on Wednesday were things like our neighbors would be, we'd all be sharing together. So we wouldn't have some people with lots of things and others without anything because we'd be sharing. One of the young people said, all of our houses would be in trees. And I thought that was a wonderful thing. Someone else talked about uh, that public transport would be really cheap and reliable and easy to use, so we wouldn't need to use our cars anymore. Others talked about how uh, we might be growing and producing a lot more of our own food. We'd be able to access really healthy food. We wouldn't be throwing anything away because we'd have a really good circular system that used things. Um, someone else said our energy we wouldn't be getting from thousands of miles away, but we'd be able to produce our own energy. We'd have really well-insulated homes and so on. You get the kind of idea. And 
these are wonderful things, particularly the living in trees. I, I love that. Houses in trees. I thought that was fantastic. But actually, what we're doing as we're dreaming about the future is very biblical. And that dream, that vision starts off in Genesis 1 that you're looking at for this series. And then it concludes, we get a glimpse of that vision in Revelation 21 and 22. And you might think, that doesn't sound very biblical at all. But actually, we're just doing what the Old Testament prophets did as they looked ahead to the future and to the hope that they had. And the kind of language that they used, they described their hope and their vision for the future using language like uh, each person sitting underneath their own vine and not being afraid of being attacked by their neighbours, um, by their sort of uh, national neighbours, not literally their neighbours next door, but uh, each person being able to live in peace and in security. This is a biblical thing that we're doing. When we pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is the kind of thing that it looks like. That's not some airy, fairy, floating up in the air kind of prayer. That's a real physical thing. What would it look like? It would look like these kind of things. And that vision is rooted in what we see in Genesis 1. We're looking this morning at does God care about our world? Obviously, I'm here to say yes. And I just, you know, plot spoiler. And I want to root that in four pretty basic points coming from Genesis 1, from that text, but then also drawing elsewhere through the Bible. The first point is, that I hope all of these are quite obvious points, but the first point is really important and the most fundamental one, that God created this world and he loves it. It's so, it's so simple, I'm almost embarrassed to say it here. But I think we sometimes miss the force of that. The whole of our faith starts with the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This world that we live in isn't something that's rubbish isn't something that uh, is a terrible thing that's going to be discarded. It is something that comes from the very being of God. God spoke and the world came into being. The psalmist says, by your word, the world was created. God breathed. There is a deep connection between this physical world and God. Now, don't mishear me. I am not saying that this world is God in any way at all. But I am saying that there is a connection between God and this world. Sometimes we think kind of God is over here and the physical world is over there. This world reflects God's very being. I think um, Andrew last week talked a little bit about the context from which Genesis 1 came. And you 
might know that um, we don't, uh, traditionally Moses wrote it, we don't really know that. What we do know is that Genesis, or what we think, but it's probably most likely, is that Genesis found its final form, or Genesis 1, those opening chapters, found its final form in the period of the exile, towards the end of the Old Testament. We think of it as being one of the earliest books because it's right at the beginning. But actually, those opening chapters are probably some of the latest material of the Old Testament to be written. And they came into their final form around the time of the exile, when the people of Israel, the people of God, were living amongst the Babylonians. And the Babylonians had their own very strong dominant creation narrative called Enuma Elish, which I won't go into, but it's an amazing story. And in that story, the world was created from a a defeated goddess, and her body was sliced into three, and out of her body was made the the sea and the land and and the skies. And so for the Babylonians... The world was evil because it came from an evil goddess. Do you get the contrast to what we have in Genesis 1? This world is amazing because it comes from an an amazing God. And we get that that little phrase in Genesis 1.31 that says that God looked at all that he had made and what did he say? It is very very good. Uh, Really, I kind of want to stop speaking now because that is just all we need to know. For too long, many of us may have been brought up with a dualistic theology that separated out the the physical and the material from the so-called spiritual and said that the physical and the material is somehow inferior and isn't quite a Christian thing to be engaged with. But Genesis 1.31 tells us that matter matters to God. And the words of this psalm that are coming up just reinforce that, that God isn't a God who created something that he thought was second best and then has gone off to get on with something else. God loves this world so much that he is continually, intricately involved with this world. Some years ago, I made a a tapestry. For those who are into these things, it's a William Morris one, and it's very beautiful, and I had it professionally finished off, and it hangs up on the wall back home. Can you imagine, what would I think if I came home from today and found that my daughters had taken it off the wall and were using it to wipe their muddy feet on? Well, I don't need to tell you how I'd feel. I also don't need to tell you that I know they won't have done that. Why? Because they know that this tapestry is precious to me and valuable and loved by me. So as as children, as daughters who love me, they wouldn't dream of treating so badly something that is so valuable to me. So then why do we treat badly something that is so valuable to God? So God made this world and he loves it. That is the fundamental point for this morning. But we can go on. Secondly, we have been created 
to look after the rest of what God has made. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, we are told that humans are made in God's image. There's so much in that that I wish I could unpack with you, and I know you've got other talks looking at that as well. But the basic force of that is that we have been made in God's image so that we might rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and so on. In case you get worried and hung up about the idea of ruling, remember that God's idea of ruling is of being servant rulers. Ruling for God is all about love and compassion and taking care. Ruling's got nothing to do in God's eyes with oppression and domination and overuse. So we are servant rulers of what God has made. We are his image bearers, his representatives in this world. I wonder as people look at us, as people look at me, if the wider creation looked at me, would they see God reflected in me? Would they see his image? Would they see me reflecting a servant rule? So we have been created to look after the rest of what God has made. But we know, thirdly, that it has gone wrong because of us. There are so many different things that we could pull out here. I sometimes teach on an MA on environmental ethics, and I, ask, I start by asking the students to list out all of the different environmental issues that they can think of. Um, it goes on for a long time. One of the biggest that we are facing today, you will know, is the climate crisis. There's a huge amount that I could say about that, and I'm going to be very good and not. But what I do want us to do is just watch this short video, which is from one of my colleagues at Tear Fund, Idsai, in Zimbabwe. My name is Itzai Morimba. I am the Deputy Country Director for TFN in Zimbabwe. Food insecurity is a big issue we are dealing with and we are probably going to see a lot more if the climate crisis is not, um, is not addressed. Um, secondly, as a result of the food insecurity, we see cases, or quite a lot of cases of malnutrition and in some cases deaths are due to hunger. Uh, malnutrition in the sense that, you know, families might end up with just maize, but then they don't have, you know, variety um, they then um, are stuck with just a few uh, grains and they can't then have other things to sort of support so that they've got a, a nutritional balanced diet the number of child marriages increase in years of droughts where families think marrying off our daughter is better because we get um, something from the family that's taking the daughter or it's one less and one less person to feed um, we see how you know there's quite a lot of gender-based violence where husbands spouses are fighting because of hunger in the family, you know, as a result of the unhappiness or, you know, that's caused because of no food at, at household level. So definitely without any major interventions, we'll probably see quite a lot of um, that. Child marriages as well as domestic violence are linked to food insecurity issues. Compromised access to clean water as well. Um, so most communities have um, wells, you know, some even at household level, but then because, you know, sometimes they dry up, they have to walk further and further and sometimes because the water points or the access to water is limited 
they just use what's there without even testing on the quality. And in the end, they access water that is not really suitable for human consumption. Um, so some children are at home because they are hungry, they can't get money for school fees, because the family doesn't have enough food, they can't sell enough to raise money for school fees. So definitely uh, we see how generations can then be affected. If they can't go to school, we'll have a generation of semi-illiterate children. Um, so yeah, definitely I think there is enough justification and cause for global um, efforts to just um, address climate change because the impacts I think are really major and cause quite a lot of negative um, um, impacts to households and communities um, in Zimbabwe. In Genesis 1, we get a, a beautiful picture of how the world was created to be, a world that was created to be teeming with life, where God would be present, life would be God-breathed, would have the breath of God in them. As human beings, we would be there representing God, taking care of the rest of his creation. But we know that it didn't take long, only a couple of chapters, for it to go badly, badly wrong. And that video is just one illustration of how we see that played out today. Where people don't worship God, that is demonstrated by them not taking care of other people and then the wider natural world suffers. And at Tear Fund, we sometimes ask, why, you're a poverty organization, why are you doing anything about the climate crisis? And I hope that video amply demonstrates why, because we cannot tackle poverty without tackling climate. And biblically, we see those things are linked so closely as well. Uh, Jeremiah 4 and Amos 8, when the people don't look after others and walk away from God, then the land suffers as a result. So the world has gone wrong because of us. But fourthly, it has a future. And that future is in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 19 to 20 tells us that Jesus' blood was shed on the cross to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth to God. And that future builds on Genesis 1. If this world is created by God and deemed very good, then of course God is not just going to get rid of it. I would love to have time with you to explain more about Revelation 21 and 22 and 2 Peter 3 verse 10 and some of those passages that have led people to think that this world is going to be destroyed. What we see in the Bible is that this world has a future and it has hope and we are called to be a part of that future, to work with God to work with him as part of his plans for the reconciliation of all things. So how do we do that? Thinking about that picture in Genesis 1 of wonderful harmony and that little bit of dreaming and the vision that we've got of the world that we long to see. Biblically, we stand in the gap. We stand in the, the now and what we see and the not yet and what we look forward to. And practically, how do we do that? We stand in the gap by doing three things, by giving, acting, and praying. 
Firstly, giving. It is so important how we use our money. Did you know that Jesus talked about money more than anything else other than the kingdom of God? Put your money where your mouth is. You know that again, that's a really biblical thing. And, and I want to say thank you to you here because uh, as you heard, I know as a church you've been so generous with our response as Tear Fund to the Pakistan floods and to Afghanistan last year, and thank you for that. I would love to offer you an invitation as individuals as well to be giving and supporting the work that Tear Fund does, to be helping to respond to the kind of situation that you saw that Idzai was talking about. I've got a whole table at the back with various resources on. One of those uh, is called Join Us, and you can find out more about Tear Fund there and see how you can get involved. So giving, we stand in the gap by giving, by giving to support organizations and work that are helping to see that vision become reality. We stand in the gap by taking action. And we take action in two ways. Firstly, in our individual lives, thinking about the kind of ways that we live and the, the amount of resources that we consume. So that might be through the food that we eat, the way we travel, the energy that we use. I don't mean the energy we use by getting out of bed in the morning, the kind of energy we use in our homes and the things that we throw away, our, our waste, particularly plastic. So there are lots of things that we can all do to make a difference and thinking about how we can live more lightly on, on this earth. And of course, there are other areas as well, but those are just four of the, the key ones. And then really importantly, we also take action by calling on our governments and businesses to put in place the policies and practices that will take care of the poor and take care of this world that God loves so much. Sometimes we get the message that it's all about our own individual responsibility and then we feel a heap of guilt on us. Actually, the ones who are really responsible are governments and businesses. And we can play our part as Christians by campaigning, taking action, calling on them to take action. One of the things we're focusing on at Tear Fund is around climate finance and calling on the government and other world governments to be fulfilling their promises to be giving a regular amount of money to poorer nations to help them respond to the climate crisis. I would love you to take action today by filling out, there's a, again at the table at the back, there's a little leaflet and you can add your name to that. And that is one really practical thing that you can do today to take action, to stand in the gap. So we give, we act, and finally we pray. I wanted to finish with prayer because I think that is so important and for me, Prayer underpins our whole response to the problems that we see in our world today. I absolutely believe that prayer works. I absolutely believe that God can change situations. And sometimes when I see the total mess that we have made of things, 
and the horror of what is unfolding before our eyes. Yes, I can take lots of action and do other things. Ultimately, my final response is to get on my knees and beg mercy from God. What does God say when his people will listen to him, will repent? What does he say he will do? He says he will heal our land. That's a physical thing. We sometimes think of that in terms of sort of revival and people coming to God. That's a physical thing. He will heal our land. So let's pray. Let's pray that God would have mercy on us and change our ways. So we stand in the gap. This is how we can respond. We can give, we can act, and we can pray. And we're going to turn to prayer in a moment. I just want to let you know about some of the the resources that I've got with me. My whole point for coming today isn't to give you an interesting talk, but it's to inspire you to action. And so I've brought a load of things that are on the table at the back that I would love you to have a look at that will enable you to take some things away and then live this out and continue doing what you're already doing and do it more. So some of, the, uh, some of the books that I've got, this one, Just Living, Faith and Community in an Age of Consumerism, is looking at how do we live as followers of Jesus in our consumer society. We are all children of the consumer age. How can we be formed in the likeness of Christ when our society wants us to be formed in the likeness of consumerism. It's not quite as simplistic as that, and so I explore that in Just Living. Saying Yes to Life was the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book a couple of years ago, but it's, you can be read at any time. And it actually is based on Genesis 1, uh, so is perfect for you as you go through the series that you're doing and each chapter takes one of the days and looks at what was created and explores that through the scriptures. It's a mix of uh, faith and spirituality and biblical reflection, then some scientific things around those things that are created and bringing it up to today and to how we can be taking care of those. So, um, so perfect for you as you're going through Genesis 1. And then these two are really practical books. L is for lifestyle, goes through the alphabet, takes an issue for each letter. Each chapter is very short and finishes with two or three very clear action points so you can go away and do something. And then probably my favourite book, Planet Protectors, is written for primary school aged children and I co-wrote it with Paul Carenza who's a comedian and BBC scriptwriter and he's just brilliant and it's funny and quirky and it's illustrated all the way through and just brilliant for primary school aged children. So those are at the back. Um, sorry for those of you watching who aren't able to be here in person um, because there is a brilliant discount if you get all of those that uh, knocks a huge amount off the price. But those of you who are here, you can explore that. And those of you watching online, very easily available online. So we are here celebrating the Creator God that we live in an amazing, wonderful, but wounded world. 
And we are called to stand in the gap, to give, to act, and to pray. So let's pray. Loving God, creator God, we come before you in humility and in a desire to take care of this amazing world that you have made. Lord, I ask that you would be speaking to each one of us about the things that we can do. Show us how as individuals and as churches we can stand in that gap. Lord, I ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit today and inspire us. Give us a fresh love for your world and for all of its creatures. Amen. Wow. If anything like me, there's a little bit to think about, a little bit to read. Go and find out about, but let's just stand together. I want to just to, to take a moment. I think you, you've just received many, many, many years of research, study, theology packed into 20 minutes. The key thing is, what are we going to do next? What do you do in response to God's word? What is God saying to you? I want us first just to, to take a moment first to thank God. Isn't it amazing that you and I, everything we have has come from Him. Even the very breath in our bodies comes from Him. And in the world that He's created, it's beautiful and it's good. Aren't you glad that the world you live in wasn't created out of some destruction of another God, but out of the goodness of a kind Father who loves just, just for a moment, just while I'm speaking, just start thanking Him for His goodness to you, His provision to you. Thank Him that we live in a country where things, generally speaking, are stable, where we're largely provided for. He's been good to you. He's been good to us. But think too, what is the one thing? What is the one thing that He wants you to do to play your part. Don't, don't let the, the bigness of the challenge overwhelm you. Think, what is the one thing? What Zia and I have done over the last know, probably five to ten years, we just tackled one thing at a time. It's about you. I want to play my part. end of the, the service there'll be opportunity to look at the books etc there'll be a uh, top tips that you'll pick up on the tunnel on the way through very practical things you can pick up but just let God speak to you and now we want to lift our eyes off ourselves and to the king so just lift your hands with me we're going to thank him for the breath in our bodies his goodness and his grace he's the lord of creation